0: I know many of you are familiar with the Faith Matters organization. They produce a phenomenal podcast and put out some remarkable content to help the Latter-day Saint community in a faith-promoting way. Some of you may be interested in attending Restore, a Faith Matters gathering happening October 7th and 8th in Salt Lake City. Speakers include Jennifer finlayson Fife, Terrell Givens, Patrick Mason, and Brian McLaren and more. I'll also be there with a Leading Saints table to meet many of the attendees. There will also be uplifting music, beautiful art, and lots of opportunity to connect with the Faith Matters community. You can learn more and register at faithmatters.org restore. Use promo code LEADINGSAINTS, all one word, for a 20% discount. Again, go to faithmatters.org slash restore and use the promo code LEADINGSAINTS. Hey, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Now, for many of you that are brand new uh, to Leading Saints, it's important that you know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization, 501c3, dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation. We get so much positive feedback on the podcast, our virtual conferences, the articles on our website. You definitely got to check it out at leadingsaints.org. And On their homepage at LeadingSaints.org, you can actually find the top six most downloaded episodes to the podcast. So if you're new, like the content, want to jump in to some of our most popular episodes, head there after you listen to this episode. Today, I get the opportunity to sit down with Sean Moon, the author of Learning Leadership from the Scriptures. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thank you, Kurt. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, we just recorded this and got a lot of just talking about the context of you know, why Why do we go to the scriptures and look for leadership principles? You mentioned some great, another uh, reference of Jesus, the greatest leader. Is, is that Jesus, right? the... Jesus, the perfect leader. The perfect yeah. leader. That's yeah. right. By uh, President Kimball. It's
1: actually a talk he gave to a group of YPO leaders, a young Presidents organization back in the 70s. Yeah,
0: it's a classic. And so yeah. we delve into that and, and why the scriptures are so important in our leadership journey. And uh, anything else we hit on that we... To tease the audience that you,
1: Well, just uh, how powerful the scriptures are at teaching So much of what we need to know in life, everything. And this great, important, really profound topic of leadership is very, very well and richly addressed throughout the scriptures.
0: Perfect. All right, here's my interview with Sean Moon, the author of Learning Leadership from the Scriptures. All right, Sean, so you recently wrote the book Learning Leadership from the Scriptures. So has this been like a. like it's been on your mind for decades and you finally sat down and wrote it? Yeah,
1: it has. I love the topic of leadership. I've spent really my entire career studying it, writing about it, teaching it all over the world. I've, I've had the privilege of teaching executives and leaders on every continent except for Antarctica. So oh nice. <laughs> if you're going, <laughs> I'm in, I'll carry your bags for you. <laughs> so I've, I've always been, really started as a missionary. This idea around how do we lead? How do we influence? How do we make a difference? And I remember many, many years ago coming across a quote by President Kimball, where he said, the greatest manual that we have available to us on the topic of leadership is the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we really have plumbed that enough. We have a lot of, you know, little points of discussion on leadership, but taking the idea, looking at leadership through the lens of the scriptures, I think is a really fascinating thing. So I had in my scriptures, right in the back, I would write little notes to myself and I had a little column of just some, here's some leadership topics that have come across. And I always had this thing sort of, you know, you ought to do something with this. And then it was in conjunction with the Bicentennial of the First Vision. And President Nelson came out and he encouraged all of us to do something, right? To consider doing oh, something to honor that. And I, I, it struck me as I was, uh, as I heard him say that this is probably the time to do that. And so, you know, when you begin a writing project, you're not always sure. I don't know if it's different for you, but for me, I'm not always sure where it's going to end up. You know, you just start. That's the fun of it, right? (laughs) That's the fun of it. You (laughs) discovered as go. I I remember uh, just a little side, I think it was Susan Easton Black one time said, I don't know about a topic until I write about it. And I love that. And, and that, that's really how it is for me as well. So I began writing and then COVID happened and it sort of changed all of our world and invited us to, caused us to look at leadership maybe through some different experiences and, and maybe gave us a little bit more time away from the hustle and bustle of you know normal travel and yeah. work and everything. And, and so that's been my focus for the last couple of years is, yeah. is organizing this and, and getting some thoughts down.
0: Maybe explain more of your career, like the dynamic of you would go to maybe a bunch of managers in a company, and you teach them leadership, or how how did that work? Yeah, so I had the privilege of working with great organizations over, as I mentioned, over thirty
1: years, and as a consultant, going in and training their leaders, particularly their executive teams, their CEO, sometimes their board, a lot of their senior management staff, and then all the way down. And throughout, you know, the the entry level of the organization. And so I've had the privilege of hundreds, if not thousands of conversations about leaders in all kinds of organizations, in all different areas of their life, at all stages and ages, as I mentioned, all over the world. And so it has really uh, been, I call it, I think of it as a sacred privilege to be able to work on this really rich, important topic. With so many different people mm-hmm. across a wide and very diverse group,
0: yeah. And so, I'm um, maybe how would you coach someone when approaching the scriptures in the context of leadership? Like, are as you, you know, you mentioned those notes that you would take. Are you reading through scriptures and a principles jumping out that maybe yeah. you've you've already talked about in the context, you know, more professional context, <laughs> or what does that journey look like in the scriptures and leadership? You
1: know, that for me was maybe one of the most enjoyable, fulfilling parts of this journey. Mm-hmm. You know, when you study the scriptures, there sometimes for me, when I read the scriptures, I'll start at the beginning of the volume and read through end to end. I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you'll study topically. And when you study topically, you learn and experience different things. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, you can study what other people say about it and give lots of different perspectives. What I have found and really was in some of the other books that I've done, I've, I had the same experience, but it was really brought home. In this experience, that when you study the scripture with a singular topic in mind, it was to say it was mind blowing, might be an overstatement, but maybe not. It was a really amazing, rich experience. What I found, Kurt, as I went through that is that there were examples of leadership on every single page. Mm. And I knew as I began writing this that this was just for me, just a start of getting the process going, because there is so much there on the topic that, you know, this is about 300 pages or so. It doesn't even scratch the surface. And since the book has been published, you know, I've I've had hundreds of other, well, what about this? And what about, there is just so much there. I mean, think about, think about studying the life of the Savior as an example and model of leadership. In fact, the article that piqued my interest so many years ago by President Kimball, I think, is entitled, Jesus, the Perfect Leader. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And it was, it was one that we got as a missionary, and and that's where President Kimball said, use the scriptures as your manual for leadership development. How does one articulate clearly and you know effectively how Jesus was the perfect leader? There is just so much there. My I write this in the book, the wealth that we draw from there is just too deep. There's just so much. So, you know, this book does not purport at all to be the, you know, the treatise on leadership in the scriptures or the definitive work. It, for me, was just a way of making my, you know, contribution to the topic. And I hope that others will continue this and this will go on and on and on. I'm passionate about the topic and I'm passionate about the scriptures. And I just found that as you get in, you know, you've, I'm sure you've had that experience where you study the scriptures with a
0: singular topic in mind. Yeah. It's a really unique and powerful experience. So how did you study with the topically focused with leadership? How did you approach the scriptures? Did you look up certain words or, I mean, how do you begin to to do that?
1: Yeah. So a couple different ways, maybe a few different ways. I first of all started with just some stories that I had remembered and I had studied and I had loved over the years. and. And that was the starting point for me. So, and it, it came across all the all the standard works and, you know, there's great stories from church history. There's great, wonderful, amazing stories from the Old Testament. And of course, in the New Testament, you have the life of the Savior through the Gospels and and throughout the whole book. And then of course, the apostles and all that they did to sacrifice. And, and then you get into the Book of Mormon and it's endless. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just endless. And so, I would start with what I knew and I would research those and I would get into into, um, you know, what other people have said about them and try to apply my own experience and my own stories. And and then, you know what I found, Kurt, to be super interesting? Because I wrote this over a couple of years, I had the benefit of the come follow me. oh yeah, and And so every week as I'm going through that process, I'm thinking about it. Maybe I was too myopically focused, but it was really helpful for me thinking about seeing everything through that lens. I find that when I write, as I've I've written, you know, other books and and other trade books on the topic of leadership. But this is my first church book on the topic of leadership that I I tend to get a little bit, you know, tunnel vision a little on on a particular topic. And, And so I began to see everything I was reading through the lens of leadership. And so sometimes it was I'd take a word and I'd study it. For example, a word like remember. One of the sections in the book is how do I lead my own life? And you know one of the most often repeated commandments in all of Scripture, I think probably more so even than the commandment to repent, is the commandment to remember. Mm. And I counted up, you know, six hundred and thirteen times where we've been specifically commanded to remember. And as soon as I put six hundred and thirteen in the book, you find so many more. Right? <laughs> so one of the challenges I'll suggest is you find more because every covenant we make, every law that is all designed to help us remember. So that's just one example. You take that word. And you study it and you find out where it comes and you find that it just opens the yeah. lens.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to maybe some basics here. Cause I think like you take the maybe the a typical individual who's called as an elders quorum right. president or a least study president, and you know, they're not thinking, you know, they haven't had a career where they're, you know, eyeballs deep into, uh-huh. into leadership principles and concepts. And so they're like, I think leadership, I'm just like, I'm supposed to show up, make sure like goals are reached and right. everything's working. Right. So, I mean, how would you, And with that, and maybe they don't even have the right lens to begin to even find leadership principles in the scriptures. So how would you even begin to define what leadership is so we can actually look for it in the scriptures?
1: Really, really important question. And I'm always dubious of nice little pithy statements that say, leadership is, and then you have a little statement. Yeah. Because, Kirk, as you know, leadership is a lot of things. It's a complex complicated topic. I mean, so for example, think about this in, the, in, the, in a professional setting. We often attribute or ascribe leadership to a particular position, right? Someone's a CEO or they're an executive or they're a manager or supervisor. They are a leader because they hold the position. Right. And yes, because they hold the position, they need to demonstrate leadership strengths. But leadership begins well before the position. Every single one of us has a responsibility to be a leader in our life. One of the fundamental principles that we need to learn is that we're in charge of us. No one else makes our decisions for us. I remember my uh, brother Williams, he was my ninth grade seminary teacher, my first day of seminary. <laughs> I show up 7 a.m., I'm sitting on the front row, and he asked us to pull out a sheet of paper. He said, we're going to take a test. First thing in the first minute of high school, and I'm all uptight about grades, and you know, if I, if I fail <laughs> this quiz, I'll never go to college, and all the stuff my parents had uh, drummed in my head. And it was one question. He said, and it will count on your final grade. So I'm like, oh, great. I failed before I began. One question was simply this. Who is the most important person in the world? And I remember sitting there thinking, well, gosh, what does he want me to say? Is it God? Is it my mom? I think I put my mom. And the answer was me. You know, and isn't that an egocentric way of viewing the world, except for this really important point. No one makes my decisions for me, but me. So when you apply the leadership to that, I mean, we all have to lead our own lives. So that's where I start in the book. I provide 12 practices, right? And four practices in how does one lead their life? What do the scriptures say about that? And then how does one lead in their family? And that doesn't mean you're the father or the mother or the grandmother or the What grand- It might mean that you're the younger brother. And can you be a leader in your family regardless of where you are in the pecking order? Could you be a second cousin? Yes. The point is that all of us in our roles at all times need to be leaders, and we need to separate the notion of leadership from the position of leadership. Mm, yeah. Stephen Covey used to say this, and I love this. He said, leadership is a choice, not a position. And that's what we make. And then I have a third section of the book where, yes, when you get the calling, you need to demonstrate leadership abilities. And so when we think about that, we think about, yes, the bishop and or the stake president or general authority or but what about the deacon's quorum secretary? What about the librarian? What about the girls camp cook? Right? Every calling requires leadership. Every calling. Yeah. So that's sort of the, the idea. When I think about leadership, I have a definition of leadership that is something about the ability to influence yourself and others in achieving sustained results. Not just results today, but results tomorrow, in the next year, and the next year. And as we achieve, achieve these results, leaders, we convey a sense of vision and we develop trust and we establish confidence in those who, who, uh, who follow. We help remove barriers and we inspire the best efforts and lift other people around us and, and hope to magnify the talents of other people. In the process, we not only develop our own leaders, but we're developing leaders around us. So you, you think about that. I mean, leadership is a lot. It's a lot of
0: things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess it begins with, you know, we obviously results play a role in what leadership is and, you know, there's the results we're trying to aim for. But it really begins, you can't have results without that vision of, you know, what the, right. what it is we're actually trying to have result.
1: Right. And if you're, and Kurt, if you're leading a ward, then you need to help create that vision of a ward. Yeah. I'll give you an example of that. When I started as a bishop, we had the opportunity to help everybody, you know, create a vision for their life. And, what, and I learned a very, very interesting thing that when I, when as a bishop, we made the change to have our focus be on the temple and being able to attend the temple and all that that requires to go to the temple and then engage in, you know, the, the temple experience and sort of have our lives centered around how Christ is the center of all of that. It changed everything in my word, right? So when you have the calling, you create that vision. But I would suggest that just as important in our own lives, do we have that sense of vision for who we are, for who we really are? Mm-hmm. Does, do people really understand and the answer is, do we really understand? No, we don't even have the first idea of what that really means Yeah. <laughs> to be a child of God. What does that really mean? It's worth deep thought and deep discussion and deep contemplation or what I would call deep personal leadership
0: work. Yeah. And it's so easy to fall back on some of those cliches of, you know, leadership and vision, like, oh, we're going to, you know, write it on on a plaque. Right. Or put, and, and that's fine. You can do that, you know, put it on the wall. Maybe we'll read it, you know, together. But like you said, it almost goes back to, it starts with our uh, personal vision of ourselves. And I always go back to the life of Christ that that truly is where he got his power is he he was 100% satisfied and aware of who he was. And he could walk into any room and be, you know, and that's where we get these stories. Everything
1: he did was consistent with who he was. Yeah. Isn't that marvelous yeah it's awesome think about that the first practice i have of the 12 that i had in the book is to know your identity do we really know who we are and do we behave at all times and at all places consistent with that just as just as the savior model?
0: yeah yeah and so and i think that you know in the context of like an elders Corner relief society there may be the sort of this cast vision of like we're going to increase in attend- attendance or sure. ministering efforts or whatever but to to go back to, and this is at the core of the of our doctrine, is we want everybody to be a little bit more familiar with who they are yeah. and have a vision of who they are. And then the, the other stuff sort of takes care of itself, right? Yeah.
1: If yeah. that's your foundation and is clearly understood and lived, it serves as a foundation, provides you the bedrock. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, by the way, yeah. I, I don't throw vision and goals and, uh, and all those things. Those are super important, yeah. right? And I talk about those later on, how that is a critical part. When you're in a calling that requires that,
0: you need to be prepared and able to engage in those really critical right. leadership skills. And would you say there's like a foundation that you have to lay first before you can get to that? And maybe we jump on those goals too quickly without laying a foundation. Is that fair to say? Or
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is probably a bad analogy because it comes from a corporate setting. But I, I was working with an organization a while back, and I remember... I walked into this beautiful room. It had the plush carpet and the cherrywood walls and the mahogany table and is all decked out. And these leaders were sitting around this table. And I noticed as I walked in that on just to the wall was this beautifully framed copy of their mission and vision, right? This is who we are. This is our purpose. This is what we stand for. This is what we aspire to. Yeah. And I went over there, I read it, and I remember thinking to myself, it's pretty good. I like that. I'm pretty critical of those things. I help organizations create those things. And so I'm pretty critical. And I remember thinking it's pretty good. I decided I would test it. So all the people come back from break, and, and I said, on the wall is this beautifully framed copy of your organization's mission, vision, and values. Now, mm-hmm. nobody look at it. <laughs> Can anyone tell me what it says? And Have you ever been in, in a room where their eyes just go down like, please don't call on me? <laughs> I said, "All right, don't quote just the gist. What's the gist of what it says? Anybody? Same thing, right? So that led to a really interesting discussion about what's the point. If we have no idea about what the gist even is, what's the point? our lives are the same way. We need to, part of, I think, what we're here on earth to do is to gain a sense of perspective about who we are and what that means. And when we understand that, how can we bless other people's lives through that realization, right? And I think that's leadership. Yeah.
0: Any stories or perspectives come to mind as far as in the context of some of your church leadership positions, as far as like casting that vision or reaching goals or, I mean, It sometimes becomes so overwhelming to walk into that scenario and and execute on that effectively and and to the point where we just sort of think, you know, I'm just going to make sure the doors are unlocked (laughs) and the lights are on and call it good.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we just recently have gone through in the Old Testament, the uh, study of, I'll use Gideon for an example, but, you know, you can pick Enoch or Joseph or Joseph Smith. I mean, because they all sort of follow a similar pattern. They are called to do something extraordinary. And one of the first things that Gideon says is, "Yeah, why did you pick me? Hmm. My family is nothing. We're poor. We're insignificant. Why, why did you pick me? Moses went through that too. Moses yeah. said, who am I? <laughs> Enoch said, all the people hate me. You know, So why did you pick me? So if you feel that way, <laughs> you know, know that you're in good company. I think the scriptures really help address that point. And w- first lesson I think is that Heavenly Father knows who we really are. He knows our capabilities. He's called us to do something extraordinary. And we can step up. I think the scriptures teach us that we don't have to have every answer. What we have to do is trust in him. I think being an effective leader in the church is probably a whole lot less about doing all of the right textbook leadership things and a whole lot more about trusting in him and following the spirit, doing the things that we feel like you know we should do and yes, along the way, let's set goals and let's hold people accountable and let's have those kinds of discussions but so many of us, uh, when we get that first calling, it's like, gosh, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Why did
0: you pick me? Right. <laughs> Who am I? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's have felt that way too. Yeah. And just that, you know, seeing it from the frame of I'm, I'm trusting in God. I, the, I shouldn't know what to do. Not every leader knows what to do, but I can at least sort of be in this cadence of I'm going to trust in God. And right. Maybe that means I just sit here for 15 minutes and ponder over that as far as what, what my next step How is. How did you, you feel know?
1: when you were called as a bishop?
0: Yeah, it was a... Uh, Overwhelming. Yeah. It was right. Like
1: what what do I do now? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> My poor ward. And you know what? I'm sure you were magnificent and I'm sure lives were blessed. Because you just sort of you know, I, I like the metaphor, you, you get up, you load your hand cart, and you head design. You don't know what's gonna happen during the day, but in the morning you put your stuff in the hand cart and you keep pushing. Yeah. And as leaders, sometimes we have to do that. There a uh, present uh Packer uh, used this analogy, others have as well of Sometimes we just have enough light for the next step and so we take the next step as a leader and then hope that the lord will light the next step and he does and it is step by step by step. Yeah.
0: What comes to mind in terms of leadership and the scriptures and then this concept of of motivation because sometimes that's the default position you know even in the church of my my job as a leader is to is to crack the whip get these people moving get them to do something I mean, does the scripture cause was, sometimes we want to go to that scripture's like, wow, this is a pretty motivational scripture because, you know, hellfire and damnation yeah. was mentioned a few times. J- right?
1: Jacob was really pointed on that. Yeah. He, Jacob was <laughs> he was a fiery guy. Read Jacob too. Yeah. And he'll say, I'm doing this because if I don't, the blood's on me. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to be the one carrying the burden. I don't want to do that, so I'm calling you to repentance. And, you know, Jacob was he he taught us the seriousness of making these kinds of, of decisions. There's a um a business author, fellow by the name of Simon Sinek, and he's written several oh, yeah. books. But I love, I love what he does. One of the books he wrote was called Start with Why. Now think about this from a from a church perspective and in a life perspective. We spend an awful lot of our time thinking about what we have to do. In the church, when we have responsibilities, there's a lot of time spent on what we have to do. And then how do we do it? In a professional setting, you know, here's what we're here's our goals and then how we do it. We're going to hold each other accountable and every single week we're going to have, you know, this cadence of accountability. And we're going to have these performance reviews and all, you know, how we execute our goals is really important. And all of that is really good. But Simon says, yeah, it's really good. But let's first take a step back and ask ourselves the question, why are we doing this? So think about that in a church context. Why do we do what we do? Now, I used to say... We would go to church for three hours. We don't go to church for three hours. we we only we only go to church for two hours, but we get these callings that take extraordinary amounts of time, often coming at a time in our life when we have extraordinary pressures in other aspects of our life, right? We have children and needs, and we have to make money and find and take care of our financial needs and create lasting memories for the kids and then meet with our family and and we we pay ten percent to the church and we go to girls camp and we go, you know, camping with the boys in our stake. We have this thing called Zion's camp and we have high adventure and, you know, gosh, for the month of June, people just essentially take that off because of all the church responsibilities they do. And And we fast uh, once a month and we don't date until we're 16 and we try to avoid R-rated movies. And I mean, the what we do and how we do it lists go on and on and on and on. And they're great lists. Yeah. But I think it's important occasionally, and I think the scriptures are a big reminder. Why do we do it in the first place? Why do we do it? Yeah. We do it, and here's an example from the scriptures. He had a young boy in his 15th year who was asking these questions, and he goes to a grove of trees and kneels down and, and petitions the Lord, and, and he had this remarkable experience. where The Father and the Son appeared to him and said, there is a plan. You're going to play a role in this plan. And through that experience, we learn about all kinds of things. But, you know, we learn about, think about what the New Testament teaches about the role of the Savior and what that means in our life. I mean, why do we do all this? Because there's a plan. Because we have a Heavenly Father who knows us and loves us. Because he sent his Son who redeemed us and saved us from our sins and overcame death and and knows us and bore our sins. We do that because we love them. When I was a, I went as a bishop. I had this really interesting experience. I was over a YSA ward, and my ward was just a little bit older than the the typical campus ward. So I had a lot of professionals, people who are out working, but some who weren't, and just kind of scraping by and getting into life, and you know. And so tithing settlement for you was always a very, very interesting experience. I would ask these kids who I knew had no money. No money. And, you know, how am I going to make my rent and buy my books or go on a date? or? And I would say, so tell me about tithing. You're full tithing? Of... Yeah. So I'd say, well, I know your financial situation. Why do you do this? Kurt, I expected them to say, I do this because I know the Lord will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so great that I won't even have room to receive them all. <laughs> yeah. You know what? They never said that. Never. You know what they said? I love the Lord. hmm why do you do this? Because I love the Lord. I think that the scriptures are trend, you know yes why do we? because hopefully we are learning to love the Lord through the scriptures and that's the motivation behind
0: all the what and all the how of what we have to. Do. Yeah. And I love how you reference uh, you know all these different stories in the scriptures individuals they were asked to do something remarkable. Right? Yeah. There's a some framed as a larger story to step into and how God takes the such ordinary people and makes them extraordinary. <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. And to say, and even the way he, he created our minds, we are wired for story, right? Yeah. It's not a, a bunch of math equations in a Bible. And he said, here it is, you know, this should help. He gave us a bunch of stories and said, I want to show you again and again and again, how I made ordinary people remarkable. And I can do that for you too. Right. Yeah. And that that's the essence of, of leadership is that expansive transformational experience that we can
1: have. I I think so. And one of the things I think the scriptures really help us appreciate is the sort of the beginning, middle and end of that story. Mm -hmm. Because when we're in the middle of it, or we're in the beginning of it, all we see is what's happening right here and right now. And we might feel like Enoch. who says, "I, I can't do this and all the people hate me and I don't like to, I don't want to open my mouth. And the Lord says, no, open your mouth and it will be filled. And we get the benefit of seeing what happens over the next period of time when he goes through that transformation you just talked about. yeah. So I think it teaches us a lesson of perspective, right? So for example, and I use this, I have a section on time management. I use this because uh, I think time management is a critical part of leadership. In, in that, I, I use this example. I think it also applies to just general perspective. You have Moses who had basically left the hearth of Pharaoh. He had entered this life that was very different than what he had known as a child. And he had sacrificed... Some of the worldly pleasures to be obedient and to follow to follow his calling. He had uh, gone into, into Pharaoh and we'd had the, the plagues and all of the stuff that, that and he'd done everything that was asked of him. And then he's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land and what that 40 year journey was going to be. He didn't, I'm sure, maybe he did, but my sense is he didn't really know all that that was going to entail. And, and so the hard things are just getting started for Moses. Well, he gets to the shore of the Red Sea and he looks down. Everyone looks backward. And what do they see? They see the armies of Pharaoh bearing down. And do you ever feel like, Heavenly Father, I've done everything you've asked me. Everything. (laughs) And now look what's happening. It's all falling apart. We planned this girls' camp or we planned whatever it is. And everything just, I've done everything you've asked. And how come this isn't working out? And that's a moment where we have to have the perspective to trust in the Lord. And of course, the Lord does deliver. And the scriptures teach us that.
0: Yeah. How did you go about, like, what was your thought process as far as organizing this book? Because I guess going into, I expected just story after story and then, you know, principle A and principle B. But what, uh, I bet it was, I I don't know, it seems like it would be a challenge to figure out how do you organize a book to talk about learning about leadership through the scriptures? You
1: know, it, it wasn't particularly easy because as I said at the beginning of this, there's just so much there. It's so rich. How do you put all of that in and what do you leave out and what do you, you know, because maybe there's 10 volumes of this, right? There's just so much. I landed on this. I wanted to have it structured. I I begin talking about the what, the why, the how, the where and the how of leadership. So I, I have the first, it's broken into four parts. First part is that. Then the second part is leadership in my own life the third part is leadership in my family and the fourth part is leadership in my calling and i tried to begin every chapter with a scriptural vignette that sort of highlighted here's what this the scripture teaches about this general theme and then each of those areas script, leadership in my own life i provide four practices leadership in my family four additional practices and leadership in my calling four additional practices each practice begins with a scriptural vignette, some stories, and then quotes, and then I try to bring in my own experience and other stories that reinforce that point. So it's not, you know, a list of a hundred scriptures that have, it really just tries to tell the tale of leadership in a sort of in a more broad way, maybe than just a single point and bring in other outside examples that reinforce what we learn in the scriptures as well as you know, specific examples from the scriptures.
0: Yeah. And obviously there's probably a million ways you could have outlined and yeah. gone through the book, but yeah. I just like that you did it one way and, and hopefully that engages people to say, yeah, you know what, that is, I am going to approach the scriptures in a way that, and look for leadership and and see it as more of a leadership help rather than just scriptures or the come follow me lesson, or no, this is actually going to help me as an elders quorum president, as a Relief side president yeah. and so forth, right? Yeah. And by the way, it's yeah. designed not necessarily.
1: I mean, I love it when people will read it sequentially and, and, uh, and I think that can be helpful, but it's also designed to not do that. Yeah. Right. Just to, I want to just kind of focus in on
0: maybe here's a leadership concept. Right. Um, And so you could do that as well. Yeah. So let's jump. I'm curious with the, the section leadership and my calling, because obviously individuals listening to this, uh, may, may be in a specific leadership calling, or uh, at least they're in some type of calling. And you, you organize it in, in four quadrants like you did with, with the others. Uh, maybe just walk us through these. Let's just explore sure. these. So at each of these levels, leadership in my own
1: life, leadership in my family, leadership in my calling, I introduce the level, I provide a foundational scripture, I introduce a principle, and then I introduce a mindset associated with that principle, and then here are the practice associated with it. So let me give you an example, leadership okay. in my calling. The foundational scripture that I picked, and you could have picked any number of them, was just simply what Moroni said, which is come unto Christ and be perfected in him. Sort of this capstone moment of the Book of Mormon, which introduces the governing principle that I identified here is the principle of conversion that in our callings, in any calling we have, whether we're the bishop or we're the second counselor in the Young Women's Organization or what we used to call the beehive class, but the 12, 13-year-old class, right? That any calling we have really has one purpose in mind, and that's conversion to Jesus Christ that's our objective so that rep introduces the mindset how i think in every action in every word in every program but my job regardless of whatever my calling is is to help others come closer to the savior and to make and keep sacred covenants if that's the mindset connected to the principle then i have identified four practices that can help us do them okay one of the practices is i've got this calling how do i organize and how do i manage the work it's one practice Another practice is in our callings, we all have to teach. So how do we teach in such a way that we teach with power? Another practice is one of the responsibilities I have as a leader is to develop other leaders, is to raise the water level for all boats. And so what can I do to develop other leaders? And finally, a practice that we need to engage in as we are in a calling is to recognize that the key to the ninety and nine is so often the one. And the Savior taught that example so beautifully, as have so many others, to lead one by one. So those are the four practices identified. Organize and manage the work, teach with power, develop by the leaders, lead one by one. You could argue we should have had 15 other ones. I mean, and that's the beauty right. of the scripture. Yeah, yeah. There is just so much
0: there. right? But that's how I organized that section. Nice. So talk to us about the, the first one, organizing and managing the work. Because, and this is, I mean, this is sort of practice I do that I'm sure you went through as sometimes you find a story and it's like this remarkable story. my mind goes to like Captain Moroni, like obviously a general of an army. There's a lot of leadership going on. And to just sit with the story and be like, how did he do that? Right? Like, <laughs> how did he organize? Like, does it talk about his morning routine or I mean, those types of things, right? You're looking for, for those, those principles. So when it comes to organizing and managing the work, what can we learn from the scriptures? Again, there's
1: just so much. So for example, here's here's how I begin that discussion. You think about Nephi and Lehi, and we love so much this great, awesome leadership scripture. I will go and do, First Nephi 3 seven. what the Lord hath commanded. For I know the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save ye shall prepare a way then will accomplish that, right? And Nephi was able to say that because Lehi also went and did, uh-huh. right? So you have these marvelous examples of getting direction from the Lord and going and doing. That's great. And when you have the dream and you have the clarity, going and doing, you just do it, right? Because you have that connection. But I give actually the example of Sariah. And I'm not, I don't know if she didn't, but I'm not finding any specific example in the scriptures where Sariah also had a dream. Sariah just went and did. Mm. she just did
0: yeah she didn't need the dream
1: (laughs) she didn't know she left her home she left her riches she went into the wilderness where she bore children in the most depraved of conditions and she saw her daughters and daughters daughters-in-law do the same thing i mean she did hard things she went and did and she didn't have every answer before she went right and so that's how i begin this this idea in a lot of our callings we don't always know exactly or we may have been directed by our stake president or a bishop who we, we have absolute confidence that they're getting inspiration from the Lord, but now we we have to go and do. And they're the ones that have... So how do we get going on that? And sometimes you just have to go and do. Mm. I love section 80 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It's one of the shortest sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. And it, the Lord gives this example of these men that are called to serve a mission, men that we don't hear much of in, in church history, And he essentially says to them, you know, you can go to the North or the South, the East or the West. doesn't matter. Just go. Just start doing. Mm. So one of the things that we do, don't get so caught up in, you know, being busy about finding ways to, just start doing in our leadership role. And when you start doing that, the vision and the direction and the organization will start to come. Yeah, I don't know if you felt that when you were called as a bishop, but- you know, you start off saying, I have no idea what to do. But you start going and doing.
0: Yeah. And the rest starts to come. I remember being that, you know, young elders corn president. And I just wanted to get all the you know, home teaching routes just right, you know. Or or we, we have this tendency of calling another meeting. <laughs> oh, we got to get in a room. We'll talk about it. We'll figure out what we got to do. And in reality, it's like, you know what? Just skip the meeting and just go do some stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we'll find some things that work and, and that'll organize.
1: And we examine our motive along the way. I, I have a friend who... Um, served for many years, 14 years I think as the CEO of the Polynesian Cultural Center and he told me this story I include in the book where President Hinckley, uh, he would meet quarterly with Prophet and First Presidency and, and uh, President Hinckley with the very first meeting my friend said to him sort of jokingly, hey you're welcome to come to the PCC anytime. And President Hinckley he had just gotten back from just barely had returned from a long arduous world tour. <laughs> he was kind of tired and President Hinckley joked, And chuckled and said, you know, gosh, if they could uh, move the Polynesian Cultural Center closer to the airport or maybe Hawaii closer to California might be easier to come and everyone (laughs) chuckles. And then he said, President Klee got real serious and he looked down and he looked back up. He said, but I want to be clear on one thing. I will never hesitate to do whatever the Lord asks me to do. Wow. And I love that as a way of, I don't know every answer, every question, but let's get going. Let's engage in the work. Yeah. And when you do a lot of things come to together. So yeah. I outline, you know, checking your motive and, and make sure that we love those that we serve and that we make sure we do have a, a clear vision that we understand the, the nature of followership as well as leadership. You know, the savior said, I am about my father's business. President Nelson follows the savior and the inspiration that he gets from the spirit. So we're all leaders and we're also all followers. And that's a, I think a really important practice, this notion of, You know, we can't do it all. And we're called to positions at various times in our life. Some have children, some have jobs, some have financial pressures. Others are retired. They have. When I was called as a bishop, I had a friend who shared this with me. And I actually love this. I think it's true. He said, there are some who have 13 hours a week to give as a bishop. And there's some who have 50 hours a week to give as a bishop. And one is not more effective than the other. It's like the principle of loaves and fishes. The Lord will expand us. He will magnify us. He will make us up to the challenge. And in the process of that, we, you know, we need to make sure we take care of ourselves. We need to practice balance. We need to have goals. And so I talk about the notion of goals and how we execute that using meetings as a time to instruct and and give counsel and what the scriptures teach this motion I talked about with going and doing, and and then throughout this whole thing, what do we learn? How can we be better? How can we evaluate every day and assess next time I'll do this differently? So that's the idea of, you know organizing and managing the work and yep. what the scriptures teach throughout that.
0: You also taught to the teach with power, which I think we, we almost see teaching as synonymous with uh leading. And is this the section you used? Uh, was it Alma talking to his son, but you, you do it in a context of teaching, right? Which I don't, you don't always, cause he's instructing his son rather. He's not necessarily giving me a teaching lesson, but you, it frames it well in, in this concept of teaching. Yeah. It was Alma 38.
1: That's right. Where he's teaching a uh, Shiblon And he's, you know, they're on their mission and, and he shares this important counsel. And it's really interesting as you look at that through the lens of teaching, it's, you know, how do we, how do we be effective? How do we teach with power? Think about, go back years in your life. Can you remember a lesson or a talk? Can you?
0: Yeah. I mean, years, years later, what is it that causes you to remember that? A lot of times it's maybe a certain example or a metaphor. or So there might be a story. A story, yeah.
1: There might be Mm -hmm. a feeling that you felt. There might be a memory that you had. There might be an association. Maybe it came at a time in your life where you needed some correction, some course correction. There are all kinds of reasons why these things matter to us. And and Alma does a beautiful job in in walking through how we do that. When we teach, we center our life first on Jesus Christ. Am I a model? We, We are diligent. You know, we can't give a half-hearted effort. We're temperate. We don't get extreme. We don't use that opportunity to teach to that have that be our little soapbox about a particular issue. Yeah. We are on the Lord's errand, not our errand when we teach. We got to be wary of pride or boastfulness. You know, I, I've spent my career teaching. And I will tell you, one of the big mistakes that any teacher can make is to have this notion when they teach a good lesson or some to think, well, I'm really good at this. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the most uncomfortable experiences you can have is saying that to yourself and then trying to teach your next lesson. Uh, right. When it's just <laughs> That's you. So true. When you're not reliant upon the Lord and upon the Spirit and so, you know, testify boldly, know your audience though and to teach with love. So all of these things are things that Alma taught Shiblon, you know, mm-hmm. how to teach. The other idea here I just think about as it relates to teaching and I'm going to use the I'm going to use the modern prophets as an example of scripture, right? Because we're just about ready to go into general conference and and what they speak on inspiration is our scripture. Think about experiences you have with our, with our great general authorities and the connections that you feel to them as you listen to conference. And it's interesting at the end of conference, I'll talk to my family and friends and what stood out. Everyone has a different thing that stood out. Something, some topic, some ta- speaker spoke to one person where someone else, because of what's happening in their life or their, You know, experiences speaks to a different person. So it's not just about one speaker. They all have that ability to teach. But I find as I leave a great teaching experience like General Conference, there are some things that stand out that I want to emulate when I teach. One is I want to leave that with a firm reminder and a firm personal conviction in my Savior Jesus Christ. My testimony is strengthened in him. Number one. Number two, I feel... His love. So when I'm listening to a great conference talk, somehow I feel the Savior's love when I listen to that great conference talk. Number three, I come away from that, gosh, I just want to be better, committed to doing and being better. Number four, not only do I feel the Savior's love for me, but I also feel that speaker's love for me that matters. And number five, I always feel when I have one of those really powerful uplifting experiences, that that speaker is on the Lord's errand, not his or her own errand. That their motivation, their reason for doing it, is very, very clear. And so, I I think there's a lot that we can draw from, you know, these modern scripture experiences as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, that's another thing I love to pinpoint. Like, not don't just approach the scriptures looking for leadership principles, but General Conference, which is sort of Absolutely. our modern day scriptures, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. And there's uh, oftentimes a lot there to, to consider. I got a few more questions, but obviously people can pick this up online. It's out.
1: Yeah, ready they, to go. they can go to to my publisher, which is Cedar Ford. They can go to Amazon.
0: Uh, I believe they can get it through Deseret Book or through Seagull. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. I'm curious with, like, obviously, I love the concept of approaching the scriptures, looking for leadership principles. Oftentimes, you know, in the years I've done leading saints, uh, every once in a while, and these are, these are definitely the minority, I'll get the response about, like, why do we need this this organization you've created. Like, no, 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 Like we were given handbooks and we have the scriptures. I don't need anything else to lead effectively. And, you know, then you could lay President Kimball's quote on that. Like, yeah, you see, like all we need is the scriptures, but then you look at the world and the research and there's such remarkable resources out there that I don't know. I just can't there's just so much to benefit you know and, and as god has revealed there's truth ev- everywhere. everywhere right and so how do we develop as leaders by not just considering the scriptures or should we just consider the scriptures? well
1: i don't bifurcate it that way i don't think it's a, this either or i think that we are encouraged and maybe even commanded to seek wisdom and learning from all kinds of sources including yeah. the best books and including great binds and and there is truth in lots of different areas and that truth will all point us to christ and of course that does not diminish the scriptures at all in fact my whole objective in this is to highlight how the scriptures teach this really really important concept in all aspects of your life but i you know i think you could ask that same question on any topic and say well why do we why do we have to listen to anyone else on anything well because it all points us in the right direction so you know, I think that we want to learn uh, from the scriptures. We want to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and we want to learn what other people say about it and engage in discussions with other thought leaders and talk about it with our loved ones and our family and then go back to the scriptures and hear what the prophet has to say, then go back to the scriptures and then take it to the Lord in prayer and then go back to the scriptures. I mean, I think it's all one sort of holistic experience. Yeah. It doesn't, by any stretch, minimize the value of, of prophetic counsel or, or scriptural counsel. I think it enhances it.
0: Yeah. I I love that. uh, The moment where I maybe learn about a concept or a principle, you know, in a more secular text. And I think if that's true, I'll probably find it in the scriptures. And sure enough, a lot of the time I find it in the scriptures. And then that just enhances the power of that principle because it wasn't this person's first thought. It was God's thought that then manifests itself.
1: You know, it really is interesting how the scriptures become such a a conduit for truth and for information and for answers to prayer. I, I, I remember as a missionary, I had the privilege of working with my mission president and I served in Philadelphia. And it was the end of, uh, it was October. And we were just as a nation getting ready to celebrate the bicentennial of the constitution. I was brand new in this calling, this new assignment and like a week. And we learned that President Benson, our prophet, was going to come out so now you can date me, right? <laughs> uh, how, how old I am. But he was going to come out to Philadelphia and speak with the saints and celebrate the Bicentennial of the Constitution. He was going to visit with us as missionaries. And I remember my mission president turned to me, brand new, green in my role and said, asked, Elder Moon, can you teach a leadership session? <laughs> oh, wow. Great. Great. Well, what would you like me to say? And he said, follow the spirit. It was really frustrating to me because I, I wish he had given me some specifics. And I'm telling you, Kurt, I did not procrastinate. I just couldn't. I delved into every book I could find, everything. I couldn't think of anything to say. And so I'd go back to my mission president. He just smiled and said, follow the spirit. And I remember the night before the prophet was to come, I'm kneeling next to my little mattress that's on the floor. I would say a bed, but it's not even a bed. His mission we just sleep on mattresses on the floor. <laughs> and I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord saying, Heavenly Father, you know that I I've, I haven't i have put this off. I, And I had, I don't always get answers this way, But sometimes in times of need, we get answers in a certain way. And I heard these voice, these words in my head as clearly as day. And it was this, Elder Moon, you teach people every day that they will get answers by reading the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Mormon. I finished my prayer. I jumped in my bed. I opened my scriptures. I don't remember where I was in the Book of Mormon, but I began to read. And I had the most amazing, remarkable experience where all of a sudden I knew what I was supposed to say. And it may have been what I was re- reading, or maybe it was just because I was reading. But the scriptures become the way we learn, right? And then we round it out with with other experience in our life, but always go back to the scriptures.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, if there's like, you could only share one leadership story or principle from all the scriptures, uh at least for this week. What is it this week?
1: You know, there are so many and it is hard to narrow it down. I mentioned Gideon, the reluctant leader who became this mighty man of valor. We we have Moses, who I love so much. We have, Enoch, we have you know, Corianton um, is a long answer question because I'm going to get to a specific. Okay. All right. Means, but, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite sections in the whole Book of Mormon is where Corianton, who's made some mistakes while serving his mission, and he's serving with his father and his brothers and he's caused great harm. And Alma says, listen, you've caused great harm to our efforts. And, and yet the Lord through his father reminds Corianton, you have a work to do. And I love there's a scripture later on in, in Alma where it says that the church was happy and prospered and Corianton was engaged in the work or something that affects like, you know, it's never over and we can make grave mistakes, but we can still be forgiven and move forward and be, you know, be leaders and be leaders in all aspects of our life. So there's so many examples on and on and on, but this is one that I know we've all heard before. But for me, it's worth repeating because I see evidence of this in so many places. The Savior said the key to the ninety-nine is when I said it a few minutes ago. He he visits the people in the land bountiful, and you think about this experience for being there that day. I mean, it's six hundred years from when Lehi left Jerusalem. Think about that in context of our life. Do you have any sense? (laughs) <laughs> that Was what what was happening in the world 600 years ago no, I, in the 1400s. I probably wouldn't even recognize that. I mean, and I, w- yeah. I went back and I actually did a little research on that. And I'm like, yeah, I maybe have heard. And maybe I should. I'm sure there are people in the world who have devoted their life to studying, you know, that part of history. But it is such a long time ago. We have even have a hard time putting a point of reference. And that's how long it was from those people then to when Lehi came. Go, go all the way back. 600 years. And they've been told, yeah, at some point in time, you know. The Savior himself is going to come here. And the prophets had reinforced it throughout the time. But I mean, I'm sure at some point along those 600 years, someone said, really? Is that really going to happen? And you get to be there that day, that momentous day after waiting 600 years. And what will the Savior say to you? So they hear his voice and they've gone through this great tumult and, you know, all the bad stuff that's happened and things, the darkness and Things have sort of settle down a little bit, and they hear this voice, and they don't understand it. They hear it again, they don't understand it, and the third time they hear this voice, and they understand it. And the Father introduces the Son, whom I well pleased, and and Jesus comes down, and he says to them basically three really important things that you know he's here. So he announces in in his way his own divinity that he lives, that, that he hadn't forgotten the covenant. In other words, he remembered them, that they weren't forgotten. None of us are forgotten. We're all known. We're all numbered, right? And then he teaches them and he pulls them up one by one. The first thing he does, of all the things that he could do, after all of this time, he gives them, it says, one by one. This one by one experience. And, you know, others have said this as well. You do the math and if they each had, you know, 10 or 15 seconds or whatever it was, I mean, that's a five to seven hour experience that morning and yet that's the leadership lesson he is teaching them that you matter to me that i have not forgotten you that i know you i think as leaders gosh if we don't remember anything else the example of the savior who connected individually with those he served that they knew that he knew them and that he loved them what a remarkable yeah remarkable gift and so you see actually you see evidence of that one by one throughout the scriptures, to be that one-by-one one leader.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. All right, last question I have for you is, that as you reflect on your own personal journey in leadership yeah. in the church now, out outside the church, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: Boy, great question. You know, I'm I'm the CEO of my company right now, and I work with other executives, and it takes time to do that. But I, I like doing that because it allows me to look in the mirror every time i talk with anyone about leadership i get the privilege of saying and so okay sean how are you doing right how are you doing i truly believe that jesus is the perfect leader i love the title of president kimball's article that he is in fact the perfect leader that he set the tone he set the pace he was firm when he needed to be firm But he was always loving. He was always attentive to the needs of the of the individual. He taught us that it doesn't matter where we are in life, we can still always turn to him, regardless of what we have done. I mean, think of Alma the Younger. Do the math. When Alma the Younger had his experience with the angel that helped him course correct, right? His father, Alma Sr., passed away that same year. Okay. Nineteen years later alma was you know taken up and had three at least three grown sons who were also missionaries i mean alma was not a 17 year old you know wayward teenager when he had that experience i believe and i think the scriptures teach us that alma was 40 years old or 50 years old and he had grown children more than one right and as firm and as entrenched as he was in his bad ways it was never too late i think that's what the savior teaches us that We can always turn to Him. So as individuals, we need to remember that. And as leaders, I think we have to have that front and center in our minds and in our hearts, that that is our job, is to help people wherever they are, whenever they are, know that they can turn to Him, that that's the whole point of all of this.
0: And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember to attend the Restore Gathering happening October 7th and 8th in Salt Lake City. Visit faithmatters.org slash restore and use promo code leading saints for a 20% discount.